Okay. I just wanted to make sure that they were ready. So... Let's get to it, shall we? So for our Marley's Review panel, we are going to welcome out Scott, Kelsey, and Haley. It's like girl power up here. Gather around. Have a seat. Take a microphone. I have to turn my athletic pilsner forward here. Are those custom You're labels? Welcome. That's great. I guess I'll just put my water on the ground. Then. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, I mean, rookie over here. Should we uh, initiate Kelsey? <laughs> I'm I like the silence before. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> awkward <laughs> tension. <laughs> what do you mean, initiate? No, no, no. Okay, never mind. We won't do that. But how's your first season? The first season is going really well. I mean, I wish it was a little more like last season. They were winning a bit more, but... Not yeah. going to complain. Win some, you lose some. Literally, mm-hmm. yes. No, but what has it been like? I mean, like acclimating to the role and just like being around the players. Does anything stand out to you about it? You know, the players have been really nice, actually. And I, I was talking to Haley about this a little bit. Hockey's not really my first sport. And they've been really sweet at answering the questions that they know that I'm trying to ask. <laughs> so I have no qualms. I was warned a little bit about Sheldon, just like wording questions. He's been awesome. The games have been fun. I have zero complaints. And Sheldon and Mike group. Babcock are so different, so handling them is. Are they? A I mean, like they can be similar in their approach. Babcock is more funny and sassy. Sheldon's more just like straight up, like dry. No. Like yeah. I like to say spicy. Like he's given me a few one-word answers. Like no. I knew she. I actually find Sheldon's a lot better in terms of just the length that he'll go to explain something. Oh, he something. he's a good quote. Yeah. He's like a Sheldon really good will talk quote. to us for 10 minutes and Babcock at two minutes is turning to his PR guy like... Are we done yet? Yeah. No, Steve does say Babs quite often. He's like, we're done here. It's like, oh, are we? Okay. Yeah, sure. Moving on. But in terms of the Marley season, I mean, what's been going on there? I mean, lately they've gone 6-2, 1-1 in their last 10 games. They're third in the North Division, what, 55 points? So what's led to this turnaround, so to speak? Goaltending? <laughs> yeah, like the addition of Michael Hutchinson's been really huge. Like they went from, you know, last season having Garrett Sparks and Calvin Pickard, two pretty good goalies, to Garrett going up, then Sparks getting waved, and not Sparks getting waved, sorry, Pickard getting waved, then they lose McElhaney, and then all of a sudden you have your five, six depth guys as your number one and two for the Marlies. Like the Growlers guys basically came up, and they're signing everyone to PTOs, and it was just. The goaltending was a bit of a disaster to start the season. And then Hutchinson's been really great. Um, Obviously, he let in six goals the last game. But he's been good in the net, but he's also been a really steadying presence for Kaskasuo. Like, he's helping him actually get better so that they actually have a good starter and a pretty decent backup. I had someone in the KHL this summer tell me when they Marley signed Jeff Glass that he was the worst goalie he'd ever seen in the KHL. He was and really was nice, like, though. This was a, a, an assistant coach in the KHL who was like, Jeff Glass is awful. And, and then he was the what starter. happened? Yeah, that, that's Hartley? where they were like, at. Who was it? Like, no disrespect to Kaskasuo or McAdam either, but like, if those guys are your your go-to guys for 40 games, it's it's going to be tough. It also probably doesn't help that they've had some injuries on the blue line, like some significant ones, Timothy Lilligren, Rasmus Sandin. So it seems like they're kind of going to be making their way back soon. That should be a boost, right? 
Yeah, definitely. They've mm-hmm. been revelations. I mean, Sandine and, and Willie, Sandine in particular has stepped in and been awesome. He played on the power play. He played on the penalty kill. He never looked out of place. And to do that at 18 is is definitely impressive. And then Willie Grin, uh, I'm kind of lower on him than most people. And I, I get a lot of flack for that. But um, Timothy is, is good in the AHL. I wouldn't say he's great, but he's certainly good. And the Marlies have lacked depth. And, I mean, Martin Marinson will also be a big boost as as sort of polarizing as he is. I think that is a positive move for Marincin with the surplus of D-men with the Maple Leafs. He's kind of the odd man out. He comes down to the Marlies. So do you think it will take time for him to acclimate just given the fact that he hasn't played a lot of games this year? I mean, he played in the last game and he came in quite well. I mean, the systems are virtually the the same. Um, So there's not that much of a transition going from Leafs to Marlies in the sense that like, they like to play similar systems so that the transition up is smoother. So it works the same way back down. Um, obviously, there's a bit of rust sitting in the press box. But, I mean, he looked really good. Like, I think he is an NHL-caliber defenseman. Just there's not enough room for him on the leaf. So he'll look, he looked really good, and he's going to look even better as he plays more, I think. Marinson is an AHL god. Like, yeah. For all of the hate that he gets in terms of the NHL and the defensive zone turnovers and all that, he was their best defenseman last year. He was better than Justin Hole. He was better than Loverity, Rosen, et cetera, et cetera. I think he got scored against like 14 times at even strength all of last season, which when you're playing 25 minutes a night is actually yeah. insane. Um, so yeah, he's he's a huge part of what they do. And he was the biggest part of what might be the best penalty kill we've ever seen in the AHL last season. Do you think Callie Rosen will be with the Maple Leafs next year? Yes, I, I think he will. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's just me, but Jeremy Bracco seems to be someone that's kind of flown on under the radar in terms of development. And I thought it was interesting. Sheldon Keefe was speaking a couple weeks ago, and he said last year, particularly down the stretch, Bracco hadn't played a lot of minutes. And he said part of that was the development factor. He said the workload was just a little bit too much for him in terms of playing those minutes in a game situation. So they decided that they wanted him to focus on practicing, working on his skills, skating, all of that. So are you starting to see the rewards of all of that hard work last year? Yeah, I I think Bracco, I'm working on something on him right now. Bracco is two things. So the first thing that he is, is he's this brilliant playmaker wheels around the outside of the zone he's one of those rare players who's a brilliant perimeter player so players get a lot of flack for being perimeter players and it's often seen as a negative with Bracco it's not that at all he plays the perimeter but he's always facing inward because he can do that heel to heel move and it kind of opens up the entire zone for him so if he makes it to the NHL level I don't think he's going to be a, a goal scorer per se but I think if you put him with a center who can shoot and the Leafs have three centers who can shoot although Nazem Kadri seems to hit the post every time he does um um, if, if I, I think it would work. The problem is with Kasperi Kapanen, if they resign him to any kind of term, it's going to make Bracco's route extremely tough. And then the second thing that Jeremy Bracco is, is he's this, like... I mean, so the, much personality. The, yeah, the Marlies That's would the never nice use the word... The Marlies <laughs> would never use the word arrogant, but he's definitely Very arrogant. arrogant, um, yeah. And he's just... In a just, good way, though. I mean, like, yeah. he's confident. It depends how much you're around. He's not a big guy, so like it's kind of like the little man syndrome, a, right? In like a hockey, w- <laughs> uh, no. I mean, like, <laughs> just in the sense 
sense of like, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> but I think in a hockey way, when you talk to people around the Marlies, they will tell you that he has to be like that to perform like he does. Yeah, like that. I was talking though. to Chris Muir about it the other day for this story that I'm working on. And Chris was basically like, I, when I was 21 years old, I A, never talked and B, never tried to make plays like he does. So I think it's all just part of the Jeremy Bracco brand. But he is just mile a minute. He never stops talking. He's funny. Yeah, he's he's something else. But I think that's all part of what has made him successful. And he's also come up in a group where he was always a star player with other star players. All of the kids from that kind of U.S. development program class that he grew up in, they're all playing in the NHL right now. It's the Kachucks and the Matthews and the Kellers. And so he's kind of been left behind. And it, it that's got a sting for him, especially for a kid with the kind of ego that he has and the swagger that he has. So I think he really, really wants it. And he doesn't want to play the waiting game. And, and I think last year was really tough for him because they tried to take kind of a long-term approach. And then this year, he was told, basically, the team's yours, and, and he's been brilliant. And playing with Chris Mueller has to help, too, right? Like, they're the two top point-getters on the team. Yeah, they have really excellent chemistry when you watch them play together. Um, and it's interesting because they're both kind of playmakers. Like, Jeremy likes to hold the puck a little bit more than Mueller does, but there isn't, like, a standout shooter on that line. Chris Mueller's kind of taken on that role. But like when you talk to him, like I was talking to Chris Mueller the other day too, and he was like, you know, I'm a playmaker myself, but it's really easy to score when you're playing on a line with Jeremy Bracco because he just sets you up for tap-ins. And and yeah, he is kind of like that a little annoying gnat sometimes. Like he talks so much, but he talks a lot and he's this big personality, but the difference this year is like you can see the work that he's putting in, so you can kind of deal with the, the yeah, talkative yeah. and the and the way that he acts because you you see that his training is starting to translate to a really good on ice product. And obviously it's working with his chemistry with Mueller and like he's a vet too. Like we were talking about this, like Mueller has three kids, like he knows how to deal with Jeremy Bracco. Like <laughs> they sound so terrible. Like he no, is, he's a good he's kid. He's a father of three. Yeah. Like he knows how to just like Stop it now. <laughs> He's also in the good graces of Rich Clune. Yeah. They roomed together on the road. They're besties, and yeah. And Bracco lived with Clune a little bit on, early on in his career. And when you're in the good graces of Clune on that team, yeah. yeah. The Goes two times that. that I've tried to talk to Bracco's friends, he's like joined the interview being like, no, no, I got to I got to stay here. He's my buddy. That's my centerman. That's my best friend. And he always tries. Yeah, he to likes just, to chime in. Right. He just stands there and watches me. And I'm just like, oh, I feel a little uncomfortable. Like, why are you it's staring at me? Yeah. yeah. I will oh, say yeah, this he's about trying Bracco, to throw though. me off um, because I like to add a little personal side to it. When he was struggling at the beginning of the year, scoring wise, not assist wise, he had, I think, one goal. Um, he was like messing around like he does with that big personality outside of the locker room with Pistol Pete. If you don't know Pistol Pete, go to a Marley's game. You will love him. Um, and Pistol Pete's like, hey, I need a goal and assist from you. And Bracco like laughed at him, like literally was like, ha, huh, like haven't scored a goal in a month, two months. He went out that game and had two goals, two assists. So I think, and then after that, I think like a week later, had another goal, a week later, had another goal. Like I'd like to uh, give a little credit to Pistol Pete there on Jeremy Bracco's play as of late. Turn the tide, yeah. <laughs> you were talking about, you know, how Bracco may not necessarily be a goal scorer in the NHL, which I think is kind of interesting if you relate it back to Trevor Moore. So when the Leafs were faced with all of those injuries, Trevor Moore kind of gets the yo-yo treatment. He comes up, he comes down, finally makes his NHL debut, scores his first NHL goal, which was amazing to see for him. And uh, then Babcock said, 
No, I want to send you back down to the Marlies. I don't want you to be a checker in the NHL. I want you to focus on being a goal scorer. So what's the difference you're seeing in maybe the approach with those two players? I don't know. I, I don't love the way that they approach the Moore situation just because I think they're still treating him like a prospect, even though he's 24 now. Right. And uh, it's just tough. His career's on the line in a lot of ways, and it, it's tough for him because I thought he earned... I mean, how many people here think G- Trevor Moore should have stayed in the NHL after his last stint? Yeah. He, so Trevor, not, I, not thought, that guy. I thought not Moore that was guy. great. Uh, part, of it, part of it, I think, is just driven by the fact that they like the GOAT at center. The GOAT can't play wing, and they now prefer Lindholm on the wing. Yeah, you can't teach 6'4", um, 5". Yeah. yeah, so I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really tough – I would imagine it's a really tough spot for Trevor Moore mm-hmm. to be in because, A, he's not playing on the top line with the Marlies just because Bracco and Mueller do have that chemistry. So he's not putting up the kind of numbers that he'd probably hope to be putting up in a, in a year like this in the AHL. And then, B, he, he probably knows that he's capable of staying. And now Tyler Ennis is going to be back any minute, and it's just right. – that's, that's a tough spot. Although if you listen to the scrums, Sheldon doesn't even know who the top line is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Babcock does that too. Um, and Mason Marchman. So what's the situation with him right now? Because we've heard conflicting reports. Is he going to be out for the foreseeable future? Is this like a devastating blow to the Marlies? What's happening with that? So from coach, he hasn't given an exact timeline, even though there's been like little sources online saying certain things. Um, from coach, he's going to miss a chunk of time. Like, it, he broke his collarbone. So, you know, without getting sources and trying to get exact time, like, that's going to take a while. Yeah. Um, he was in surgery. He went into surgery the other day, I believe. Um, and, yeah, like, that's probably, that probably is two to three months. Like, that he's sucks. probably out for the rest of the season. And he missed a chunk of time to start the season, too. Um, from a different a- ankle concussion concussion mm-hmm. way off uh, <laughs> but he was out I knew he was out um, um, but no and that it's not he like it, it does affect the Marlies because Marchman is a good and a key piece I think it affects probably Trevor Moore and Adam Brooks a little bit more than the whole team, which in a way has that ripple effect of affecting the team, if, if that makes sense. Because they've been, every single game since he got hurt, they've been trying to slot someone different on that line. And it's they just haven't found that one person to click the same way that that Marchment Brooks um, and Moore line did. Like Those three were really great together to the point where every single post game that's all anyone ever wanted to talk about was, how, what's it like playing with uh, Trevor Moore? What's it like playing with like Adam Brooks? Mm. Um, so he is a big loss because that line was doing so well for such a long time because of that chemistry. I think part of the trouble with the Marlies this season, that win one, lose one scenario, is just because they have a lot of guys like Mason Marchman. Like, they have a lot of good AHL players who can play in a top six, top four on your D, whatever, but they just have lacked the star power that they've had in recent years. Like, there's no Andreas Janssen, there's no Travis Dermott, there's no Kasperi Kapanen, there's no William Nylander and Zach Hyman before that, and even Nikita Soshnikov was brilliant for them. And so they just have this, they have a lot of fringe guys. Like, there aren't there aren't prospects per se there. They're just guys who could maybe fill in on a fourth line here or there sometime in the next four years. But like Mason Marchman's a perfect example. He's just, he's a good AHLer who's probably not a lot more. 
a lot more, Trevor Moore. Um, <laughs> Made for more. Yeah, and it's just, it, it it puts them in a tough spot where they're probably just destined to be a good team. And then you have guys like Michael Carcone who come in, he was a star on Utica, he was point per game, and now he's kind of lost in the shuffle because they have so many guys like that. Like, mm-hmm. they do have serious depth, depth that teams all over the AHL would would be extremely jealous of, but they just don't have anything to push the needle like some of these other teams. I mean, Charlotte comes to mind as this team that and Syracuse, but those but the two Marlies teams. The Marlies beat Charlotte this season too, didn't they? Yeah, but Charlotte has like a million points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're 15. They're 15. I think they have 70 points. They're 15 points back from Charlotte. Oh. But I think, I think to add to like what Scott was saying is they have so much depth, but the team lacks the chemistry to have it all together at the same time. Um, so when you talk about, you know, how have the team started to turn things around, I was working on a story about that, and then they went and, you know, lost. lost like, seven, really bad. Six, in, what was it? Yeah. yeah. Seven, six, and after the game, Sheldon said, we're clearly not where we need to be. Like, this is a huge step back. And so it's really irresponsible to write a story about how they're turning things around when coach says that. So, but you know, before that happened, everyone was starting to say that chemistry was starting to click in those, they went seven, three, Oh, and one in January and then back to back shutouts to start February. Mm -hmm. So that shows like a pattern of trending in a more positive way. And that was because they finally had, you know, the four lines actually clicking. Like there was chemistry more, for the entire team playing the system together, you know, protecting the goalie, getting the pucks up to the forwards, actually scoring goals, getting pucks in deep. Um, like all four of the answers that I hear every game. <laughs> yeah. And but like, actually like the cliches were what they were doing. Like they were actually playing the full 60. Like they never do that. They never play the second period and they finally were, mm-hmm. but then yeah, the last game, they just stopped doing that. I feel for Sheldon, too, because you Sheldon... You sense that frustration. He's such, such a good coach. Yeah, yeah. he's done a... He really has done a brilliant job with this team. Um, and they regularly outshoot teams, like, 40 to 25, oh, 40 to 22, and they'll lose 6-1. And, he, like, he just shows up at the end of the game, and he's like... Garrett Sparks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's, Come back. It's, it, it was really tough on him, I think, early in the year when they were playing like that and they were still losing every game. And that has kind of continued. Like, they still look like a really good team. But sometimes yeah. they're so frail. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I like, think he made a really good point in the scrum last game. He said we should win every game that we score four or more goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and when you not. let in seven entertaining for the fans but a coach's nightmare right yeah I mean they want they started the season one and four and I did some like looking back in Sheldon's entire coaching career he's he never ever started a season one and four wow ever and so I was like I kind of want to ask him about this but I also don't want to get in his (laughs) bad books like right off the bat of my first season on the beat so I didn't need a one-on-one scenario no scrums Uh, yeah practice is usually one-on-one yeah or just me and Scott but (laughs) <laughs> okay, we still have... How much time do we have here? Ten minutes. Do you want me to open up to the floor? Do you guys have any questions out there? Do I see any hands? Chatty bunch. No. Oh, there we go. Oh, we got some takers. Coming your way. Who put these chairs here? Trying to trip me? Coming. What's going on with uh, Lilligren and Sandin? When are they going to be in the NHL? Do you ever take just based on your guys seeing them every game and whatnot? 
this may upset some people. Uh, <laughs> Sandine's been great. Sandine is awesome. Uh, he's basically a lot like Travis Dermott, plays a super tight gap, is really physical for his size, excellent skater, moves the puck really well, doesn't really have a big shot, but you can get by without a big shot in today's game, and the Leafs really don't have anyone until they acquired Muzzin, who has a big shot threat. Um, but again, he's he's going to need all of next year, I think, in the AHL, uh, which will be great for him. Um, the injury obviously was disruptive. He suffered an elbow injury in Sweden's last game at the World Juniors, and he's still not back from it. He should be back any day now. And then there's Timothy, who, I don't know, if his skating improves, I think he can be an NHLer within the next year. And if his skating doesn't improve, it's going to be really tough for him. He's battled injuries and mono for three years now every year he misses a good chunk of games that's been true again this year and it's just when you're 17 18 19 years old that's hugely disruptive these kids change so much month to month in terms of their skill set and how quickly they really are developing and you can really see it on the ice month to month and Willjergren has kind of been stagnant ever since they drafted him he's a lot like Sandine but he doesn't play the tight gap because he doesn't have the skating and he gets exposed off the rush a lot, like a lot. Um, so, yeah, his skating is, is a major issue for me. He's unbelievable with the puck. He's silky smooth as a handler. He's, I mean, outside of Jake Gardner, maybe the best three-zone outlet passer on the, in the organization. He'll set up from behind his goal line and hit a guy in stride at the far blue line regularly. Uh, all of those things are awesome, but he's just his skating has basically been where it's at now for a year and a half, so that's going to be tough. I think if he has a really good start to next season, you might see him sort of in the back half of the season if injuries happen and then a, a real shot in the following training camp. Um, but if you're expecting either of those guys in the immediate future, I think it's going to be tough. I think Sandine will be great. I think he'll be an NHL defenseman. He probably just needs a little bit more time. Uh, but Sandine, I think the skating separates him in a big way from Timothy. Yeah, I don't really know what else I can add to that. Um, that was a lot. But, like, the one thing I will say is, you know, I think it was, like, Dubis was saying, you know, he, they were considering Timothy for an NHL call-up this season. So, yeah, that's crazy. I know. And so I think, like, regardless of whether they're ready or not, both of those guys are going to be put in a situation where they might find themselves making their NHL debut before they're actually ready to be doing that, um, just based on, you know, some of the cap situation that they're going to be in in the next few years. I think people are already starting to, like, they're going on cap-friendly and showing, well, here's what we're going to be at if Lilligren is in the lineup and Sandin's in the lineup. It's like, that's a, that's a 19 and an 18-year-old that you're trying to throw into the NHL next year when they're, you know, neither of them have played a full season in the last three or four. I mean, Sandin's only been hurt this year, but Lilligren hasn't played a full professional hockey season ever. So it's kind of hard to, you know, just say he's going to be in the NHL next year and he's going to save all of our cap problems because he's cheap. And I, Muzzin helps a lot in that way. Just the fact that they have Muzzin for next year kind of alleviates that some of that pressure. Because I think if you're looking at a timeline for them where they in the camp in 2021, I guess it would be, where they're coming in and, and giving it a real go, then that's that. I think that's a realistic situation for both of them. Uh, I, I just like Sandine's odds of being more than kind of a third pairing guy because Timothy was drafted because there was this view of him that he was going to be able to play on the power play. And I just think because he lacks the shot threat and his skating is a little bit of an issue that now you're basically looking at him as a guy who can't play on the power play, can't play on the PK, 
And ultimately, if he's a 16, 17-minute-a-night guy on even strength, that makes him a third-pairing defenseman, right? Whereas I think Sandine, because of his skating, is kind of a cut above that. You could imagine him on a second power play unit. So it just gives Sandine a, a, a little bit of a brighter upside. And he also he's a year younger, which helps. Yeah. We have another question. Oh. Did you want to chime in? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> On the left side over here. So Sheldon. Thank you. Um, hi. I'm not saying... Hello. I'm not saying fire, fire Babcock and hire O'Keefe, but do you think like O'Keefe is happy where he is in the AHL? Do you think that like he has any... Is he happy where he is as, a, as the coach of the Marlies? Does he have kind of grander ambitions or... I don't know. Like, what's his idea going forward if you ask him mid-season he's gonna shut you down real quick like he he's not like Sheldon's not the kind of coach like I mean maybe like at home like he's thinking in the back of his mind like yeah I'd love to coach in the NHL but I mean I think Scott asked him this last year um people have picked like poked around asked Dubas if there's been offers when there was like different firings mid-season like I don't. I think. I think it's possible that we'll see Sheldon as an NHL head coach. I think he's a. I think he's a great coach. He manages the personalities really well. Uh, like he, I think, in what three and a half years became the franchise like record holder of wins way faster than Dallas Eakins did it. Like he's a great coach. You could totally see him in the NHL. I just. I think he's focused on getting this team to actually look better like I, he would never say that he wants to go in the NHL midseason I, I think he's as happy as an AHL coach can be given yeah. his role Kyle Dubas is his best friend in life he's extremely well paid um, there's certainty there like he's not going anywhere he can be the Marley's coach for as long as he wants to be the Marley's coach he certainly wants to be an NHL coach though like he's one of those guys who's definitely aspirational he wants to win a Stanley Cup he wants all of that so um I think it'll happen for him at some point. The, the problem is, is that his window, his best window to become an NHL coach was last summer, and then there were just no vacancies for him to kind of pounce on. And it, there's such a window. It, it's whoever is hot right now in the AHL, right? So there's, there. I mean, in Tampa Bay, the Syracuse head coach right now is, is a hot topic. Um, the Providence head coach right now is a hot topic. And you, you, it just kind of fades over time. So unless he wins another Calder Cup, it, you could slowly start to see him less involved in those conversations. I don't know whether there's going to be particularly that many firings from here on out in this regular season either. Um, plus, he comes with baggage. He's got a backstory that comes with... How many people here are familiar with Sheldon Keefe's backstory? Not that many. Anyways, Sheldon Keefe... At, was a really bad man and kid and teenager for many, many years. And I think part of the reason that he didn't get hired in New York was because the tabloids would have been all over his backstory. Um, they already were. Like, when yeah. people were even, like, there was bloggers saying, like, oh, we should hire Sheldon. And then everyone was going in, like, uh, have you read this and this and this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he would be a great NHL coach, and I think he really wants to be an NHL coach. It's just going to be tough because it really is a who's hot now kind of scenario with those AHL coaches that get promoted. But was the question, does he want to be? Like, did you ask, does he want to be, or are we going to see him in the NHL? Yeah, but also, like, is that coming soon? That was our long-winded answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I don't know. It's not going to happen in Who wouldn't want to be an NHL coach? Yeah. I would. Another question? <laughs> Thank you. Hey, guys. Um, this is a question for the voodoos on the ice, the goalies. Um, 
If for whatever reason Michael Hutchinson is unable to be retained past this season, who do you think the Marlies should go after to replace him, either within the organization or through free agency? Not Jeff Glass. <laughs> Guys, Jeff Glass I'm is sorry, really he nice. was so nice. <laughs> Jeff Glass is actually so nice. So nice. So was it Justin Bourne who was like, Jeff Glass is the nicest person in the world. Like, I almost did a story about Jeff Glass just being really nice. Like, that's how bad the start of the season the was. I was like, we're losing, but Jeff, damn, Jeff, you're so nice. And that's exactly why they brought him back, because yeah. they just love him with the Marlies. Um... I don't know. I think Joseph Wool and Ian Scott will certainly be one of the two goalies next year. Uh, I chatted with Wool in Boston when I was there a couple of months ago, and he said that he's actually accelerated his schooling. This is his junior year, so technically he could go back to Boston College for a fourth year next year, but he wants to turn pro at the end of this season. Ian Scott has to turn pro at the end of this season because he can't go back as an overager for a second time in the WHL. So at that point, you've got two goalies turning pro next year who are both really young. One of them is definitely going to be with the Growlers so that he can play. The other one's probably a backup with the Marlies to a veteran while they kind of ease them into it. I'm of the opinion that Joseph Wool is is the significantly better prospect than Ian Scott is, even after Ian Scott has had a brilliant season this year. This year. Uh, but then, you, yeah, you've got to sign someone, and it cannot be Kazmir Kaskasuo. So it, it really puts them in a tough spot. I mean, I don't imagine that they'll bring Hutchinson back. Um, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would want to come back here when there may be a, a sort of backup NHL gig in his future somewhere. So I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't really explored the the free agent goalie market to know whether there's a veteran AHL backup or that kind of thing. But I do think Wool or Scott, one of the two, will definitely be with the Marlies next year. Do you think there's a chance that we could get Pickard back? Or Sparks? I, I think no. Sheldon <laughs> would. Well, I, I actually think that is more possible than getting Pickard back. I really don't think Mike Babcock loves Garrett Sparks as his backup. And if they were to make a move at the deadline this year, whether for a right shot D or a fourth line center, I actually think the most likely move is that they try and find a backup who's better than Sparks, or at least in Mike Babcock's mind, better than Sparks. But I don't think Sparks would clear waivers, so that's... Did someone just say Bobrovsky? <laughs> Frederick You're Anderson and Sergei Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky. Another question? Hey, gang. Um, if we fast forward like five years, how many of these Marlies are just NHL regulars? Ooh. Uh, four. <laughs> I don't know. I think like I think you could see Trevor Moore for sure. Yeah, definitely. Moore for sure. It's just like <laughs> Can I, I have know. a Tim minute? Timothy Lilligren like, and, and Lilligren Rasmus and Sandine. They'll probably yeah, like it. <sighs> I don't think I don't think it's there for Marchment. I don't know Timishov. if it'll be Bracco. I don't know if Brac I, I think Bracco will be a full time NHL or this. So you guys for the Leafs? when I said four. Yeah. Mm. But for the Leafs? Not for the Leafs. I like think are you saying in the NHL or for the Leafs? James Myrtle oh, that loves Pierre Angle yeah. and it's so it's not happening that for neck. him. <laughs> He's tall and he can skate and he can shoot, but everything else is is a rough go. Yeah, I think there's like there's more opportunity for some of those guys for other teams than yeah, the Leafs. That's the thing. Like when with Carl Grundstrom, I actually think him getting moved out was probably better for him because he's a good rookie. He was fifth in rookie scoring in the AHL, but it it would take a while for him to crack the Leafs roster. But then when you look at what's going on in LA, you know the reality is he's probably gonna play for the Kings a lot faster than he would have played for for the Leafs. So I think. 
obviously he's not with the Marlies anymore, but if you're saying like just any team in the NHL possibility, there's a lot of talented players who could play on NHL teams, but players who are going to play for the Leafs next year, maybe three. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. They, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about how they have a lot of good AHL players, but not guys where you can safely project them. Like, I just think the Timoshavs and the Brookses and the Marchments and the Carcones, they're just... Yeah, when your development just, hits this, like when, like for Timoshov, when it's your third year in the AHL and people are still asking you the same questions, like I, it's just, you've been stagnant for so long, like... Timoshov's claim to fame, I think, is always going to be that he got 71 assists in the queue. Yeah. They, got, they have a couple of really interesting players with the Growlers, who I think might be something. Um, Brady Ferguson. Brady Ferguson is awesome. Brady Ferguson should absolutely not be in the UCHL. Uh, and then Hudson Elinuk is, is probably the other one. I mean, he, he's a legitimate, I think he's a legitimate prospect. He's only 20 and he's playing out of his mind right now and the Marlies love him he's huge he plays center but again like that's a guy who's probably going to be a really good AHLer and not much more and then there isn't a lot coming either like Dakota Joshua is a college player who's going to join the Marlies at the end of this season and he's just going to be a third line guy he's just going to be there is there another question yeah there's one more question cool we ramble a lot sorry I'm going to ask you to ramble too actually (laughs) Um, you guys mentioned Rich Clune earlier, and you all kind of smiled at each other. And uh, I have a good friend that was lucky enough to grow up with him, and he's told me some pretty funny stories about the guy. I'm just wondering if you guys have any good Rich Clune snippets from following the team over the last couple of years. Well, did anyone see um, his Wolf of Wall Street moment at the Calder Cup celebrations last year? No? Not a single person? Oh. Well, that was a funny one. Like, he more or less, like, announced that he would be back with the team in, like, a Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm not going like, anywhere. I'm not go- you're he gonna talks to about that movie a lot. Yeah, they love, I don't know, they love they that have, movie. They, yeah. I just, Dickie. And he refers to himself He in calls the himself Dickie. He says, oh, yeah, Dickie would love to do that. And it's like, who's Dickie? I'm Dickie. I, <laughs> you my... know Dickie. <laughs> no, I don't know Dickie. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Scott Scott probably has better like Rich Clune stories than we do like I like my only like face to face experience with him was like kind of awkward because it was Bracco like trying to join in and be like that's my that's my that's my dude I gotta be here for this and he just stared at me while I tried to talk to Clune and Clune was laughing the whole time and Bracco's laughing the whole time and I'm like feeling really super uncomfortable with the entire situation Scott was there feeling uncomfortable and then Bracco was like, nah, I'm going to go, but let's have dinner later. And Clune was like, sorry about that. He's like my child. I have to take care of him. And I was like, then why didn't you tell your child to leave? Like, tell, like, tell him to go away. Like, you're working. Like, Dickie's working. So that was my, <laughs> that was my Rich Clune experience. I guess it was kind of funny, but, like, I felt uncomfortable. Rich is, I, I don't know whether my wife showed up. Uh, anyways, I went to, uh, my wife and I went to a, uh, a movie premiere that he was in last year. I don't know whether you guys read this story, but he, anyways, he loves acting. He goes to a shop off of the Danforth and does acting classes every week. Um, and he is 
the mo- one of the most interesting people I've ever met, and also one of the nicest people I've ever met. And one of those guys who you feel like you're a friend with him after just like meeting him for a quick 30 seconds. And his life story is absolutely incredible, obviously, but my Rich Clune story is that he shook my wife's hand at this movie premiere that we went to for him. And he literally has the biggest mitts of anyone I've ever met. Johnny Bauer. Johnny Bauer has had just absolutely enormous hands. Ally Frady. And Rich Clune yeah. is just a monster. And I remember my wife literally like crumbled under him <laughs> when she was shaking his hand and he had to like apologize to her. And <laughs> he's just, he is legitimately one of the nicest, most interesting people. He's open about how weird and different he is, which is so hard to find in hockey. Garrett Sparks is that way in a lot of ways. I'm sure you guys can see it in the interviews that Sparks does. But Clune is just a, a wonderful, wonderful guy. I don't know if I can follow up that story, but I've had a couple experiences with Rich, Dickie, whatever we want to call him. Um, and the one that sticks out in my mind is that we were doing this feature on, it's just a really little cheesy, what are your New Year's resolutions? And all the guys were like, eat healthier, go to the gym. And he he's sitting beside me and like, this is the first time I'm meeting him. Um, like face to face outside of just like talking about hockey and he was like I want to get a better moisturizing routine and it it sounds funny I actually laughed at him I was like oh like you should do the backs of your hands I remember that Um, but then he posted it on Instagram later and it was did you see the post oh so that was me Um, but he was saying you know like uh, as part of um what am I trying to say? As part of like uh, the rehabilitation process that he's been very open with, is that getting routines is very important. That he, you know, isn't shaving as much every every morning, so he wants to get the moisturizing. And I think the fact that he's so open and he can be so personable and vulnerable to I want to call his fans, I guess, on Instagram, that it it shows what kind of a person he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned Garrett Sparks. He's actually one of the nicest people I've ever met. Going back to training camp. Have you met Jeff Glass, though? No. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Glass is really nice. (laughs) But when we were in Niagara for training camp, a bunch of fans came out. And it's kind of strange because it's like a a petting zoo environment. Like, they they enclose the players. (laughs) Yeah. And then they put a fence around them. And then all the fans just, like, line up to kind of, like, touch them. Don't the goalie. And, uh... They bring them in waves, basically. So they split them into three groups, and every player was kind of just designated to spend 30 minutes out there. And then they would come and wrangle them and bring them inside to have their lunch. (laughs) Garrett Sparks, it was like 35 degrees outside, and Sparks was out there for over two hours. I'm like, Sparks, what are you doing out here still? He's like, these people waited hours to be here, and I think I owe it to them to sign every autograph, take every picture. And I was like... I really respect that. That's one of the nicest things I've ever heard. And I mean, there's a lot of guys on the team that will do that, but just to have that moment stand out, it was great. It kind of reminds really me of something cool. like Sam Jardine would do this year. Yeah, he's it's always doing like, the bench with yeah. the kids, yeah. Garrett Sparks was, like, I got I got to go to Leafs practice once this season just because I was doing a, a story for something else, and, and Myrtle was like, oh, well, if you want to talk to some of the guys who graduated to the, to the Leafs, go to practice. And I was like, uh, like, I'm not prepared like I'm still just in the minors like I've anyways Garrett was one of the first people that I talked to there and he was so nice like he was kind of laying there with like all of his gear (laughs) laid out in the in the dressing room and I was like Garrett do you like have a have a minute to if I ask you a few questions about Sheldon he's like a minute how much time do you have yeah yeah well no he was like I'm not moving so yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he's like, as long as I don't got to get up, I'm like, don't you stay right there. And literally he didn't move. Like he was like sprawled out like this. And the trainers are coming, like trying to pick the stuff up, like under his leg. They're like trying to get his equipment out. And he did not move. Like he was talking to me so eloquently, so nice, but literally just like sprawled out. Like he was dead. I'm like, you like, your practice was 20 minutes. Like, why are you so tired? <laughs> like, they, sometimes their practices are short. But yeah, Garrett Sparks is like, re- he was really cool. Funny yes. guy. Yeah. Well, thank you for this, guys. Really appreciate it. Can we give it up for our Marley's panel? Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So we are going to take about a 10-minute break now. So feel free to go stretch your legs, grab a drink, go to the washroom, and then we will be back with us Okay, um, around 8.50. So we'll have a NHL headlines type of panel. We'll have Mark Masters, Sean McIndoe, a.k.a. Down Goes Brown, and we'll have Tyler Dello as well. So just an FYI. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Down Goes Brown, History of the NHL book. He just launched this. It's for sale if you guys feel like checking it out or picking up a copy of your own. The ladies at the back there have a, a table set up with all of the books, so feel free to inquire. Okay, we'll be back soon. 